So I'm not, I'm not double dipping today, in case you thought I was going to sing and preach. Instead, we have a special guest, someone you've never met before, from far away across the world, Tim Dirksen. So if you don't know, <laughs> some of you are like, what? Who, Tim. Who is this guy? Yeah. Tim uh, and Melissa and their family joined us early, or at the beginning? Week, week one. Week one, okay. Week one as we launched Jubilee, and uh, they were here, I want to say whole hog, but that sounds kind of like a weird expression, but whole hog, they were in it and serving and participating, and um, in the last many months, they felt, are you going to explain all this or not? A little bit. Okay. Don't steal all my I won't right? steal it all. Yep. Um, they felt called to plant, mm-hmm. and so we kicked them out immediately. A threat. A threat to they were your... a threat to our dominion <laughs> over this town. And uh, no, we prayed and we said, you know, go, go join C2C, join the network, and then uh, see what God's saying and what, how God would lead you. And uh, we're behind you as a church. And whatever way we can support and help you guys, that's what we're about. And we may not be large, but we are mighty, right, in the kingdom. So anyway, I won't say anything more in case Tim has a special presentation he's going to make. Yeah, no, not yet. Not yet. I don't have my C2C uh, stuff figured out completely. We're still in the very early stages. But yeah, like Jonathan said, uh, my name is Tim, for those of you who either don't remember. It's only been two months, okay? Come on. (laughs) It hurts my feelings. Um... But uh, yeah, so we're, uh, we've been around. Uh, it's been an amazing faith journey for Melissa and I, uh, you know, two and a half years ago when we left Maple Ridge Baptist Church. If you would have told us that we were going to church plant, we would have been uh, blown away and we wouldn't have believed you at all. Um, God has done uh, a whole lot of stuff in our hearts in the last couple of years. Uh, he's used um, really interesting situations to, to pull us back into ministry and to kind of point us into church planting. Um, and then even just the idea of planting possibly in Maple Ridge was one of those things that a few years ago we said, God, please, no. Um, We had finished the Maple Ridge Baptist Church. It hadn't ended in the best way possible, and so we were kind of just hoping to get out. Um, And over the course of, uh, over the last year and a half especially, God has just pointed and directed us to say, uh, your neighbors, these people that I've put around you are there, uh, and you've missed the mission that I've given you. And so over the last, especially year, uh, year and a half, we've been really intently looking at how we can love these people around us, how we can actually be sent uh, on mission to, to show them what the kingdom of God is like. And so part of what we're doing is, is in this planting situation is, uh, is, well, we have to build a team. Um, and I don't know if that sounds daunting to you, but to me, it sounds like a really big deal. It's, it sounds actually terrifying because we're not coming out of a church. You know, we're not planting out of Jubilee, although like we're going to work together and we love what God is doing here. Um, we have to develop a team. Uh, and, and when I think of even just a Sunday morning, just what goes on uh, from you know, 8 o'clock when people show up to 12, 30, 1 o'clock when people leave, there are a lot of people that make this thing happen. 
it's not just Jonathan, it's not just the paid staff, it's, it's everybody. And so, you know, in my mind, I start thinking through a Sunday morning, I start thinking through, okay, well, we need, to, we need to have music, we have to have worship, and so I need to have band, and I need to have leaders, and I need to, I need to have sound people, and I need, like, I need to have all of this, I need to know somebody who's going to do PowerPoint and who can do this, like, that's, that's hard. And not disparaging at all. <laughs> We need people, because without those people, this doesn't happen. So just, so just this part. But then I think all the stuff that happens in uh, the nursery and up in the kids' classrooms, like there's, there's a lot of people. You need two, three people in each of those classrooms. So how many classrooms do you have? Do you have any classrooms? Do you just do not do kids' ministry and say, kids, you're not welcome here? Uh, we've thought all this through. That's, that's not going to happen. That's going to be the shortest church plan in history. <laughs> Um, and so we were thinking through this. Okay, so how many volunteers do we need? How many people do we have to have? Uh, we started thinking through even stuff like we need mentor. Like we need people who are willing to, like in the middle of the week, love on people and, and be there for people and take people out and, and do life, show them what it means to be a disciple of God. Uh, we need elders even, people who are spiritually wise who are going to come around me because I can't do it by myself. I need people. <sighs> There's so many people. <laughs> And so I keep getting asked the question, like, how do you feel? Like, are you excited? And I'm like, no, I'm, 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 I'm kind of and not really at the same time. Because the, the task is so daunting. When I think of everything that goes into a church plant, and I think about how many people it takes, I start thinking, like, we really need the, the dream team. And, and I started thinking, because I, I loved basketball as a seven-year-old kid, of the, the 92 Olympic basketball team and the perfection that it was, called by many as the greatest, uh, greatest collection of talents ever. And you start looking at that, and you start thinking, yeah, I need my, I need my Jordan and I need my Pippin. And I need, I need my Ewing, and I, need, I, like, I need these people, like all these, these blocks of people who are going to help take on major parts of, of what we have to do in, in the church planting uh, experience. Uh, if you don't know this, I'm sorry. I, it was 1992. <laughs> 1992. It's a long, long time ago. You can tell the age by how short their shorts are. <laughs> when I think about it, I think many of us think like this, though. We need to build the best team. We need to have the best people. When we think about our, uh, our businesses that we build or when we think about the churches that we build, we're looking for the best people. And, and I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with that because you don't want people who stink at what they're doing helping you out at the end of the day. But I think we even... Hey, buddy, come on. That's, that's mine. Um... He doesn't want to listen to daddy more. Um, even in our friend groups and our relationships, we don't look for weak people. We, we don't look inherently for people who need us. We, we're looking for people who are going to help us, who are, going to, who are going to be around us. They're not going to be time sucks. They're not going to suck our energy. They're not going to be people who we just bang our heads against the wall with. We, we don't want those people around us. We want power. We want influence. We want people with money. Those are the kind of people that we build with. And this morning, the the question that I really want to push into is who is the kingdom of God for? Who are the kind of people who build the kingdom? Who who does God use? Because the the likelihood is it's not going to be the dream team. It's going to be like the replacements, the 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 second squad that I'm going to start building with, the people who, who see the mission and who understand what it is that we want to do. 
It's going to be those kind of people that we pull in. It's going to be those kind of people that God uses in powerful and mighty ways because that's how God builds his kingdom. And so as, as, we, as we read and as we look uh, today at scripture, I hope that you would just come to this place of seeing who it is God uses in his kingdom, who his kingdom is, is built for. And uh, I, I know that as I look at this and as I think about this, I go, um, if God is only going to use the powerful and the rich and the influential and the people who have it all together, he's not going to use me. Just straight up, I know me. I don't know everybody else, but I know me. I know my brokenness. I know my weaknesses. I know where I fall short. I know that I am sinful. I know that I am broken. And so if God is going to build his church, he's not going to use me unless that's the way he builds his kingdom. So we're going to read. We're in Luke still, Luke 18, uh, verses 15 to 17. In my weakness, see, I can't even get the scripture reference right on the PowerPoint. So... Luke 18, here we go. This is what it says. Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked him. But Jesus called them to him saying, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Let me pray and let's look at what God is telling us this morning. So Father, Uh, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you have uh, given us something that we can go to time and time again, day after day. Uh, Find something new. Find something fresh. Find something that reminds us who we are in your kingdom, who we are because of you, but what you've done for us. Um, And so God, use what we have to say this morning. Use what I say in my weakness and in all the ways that I fall short and the ways that I don't live up to God, what you've called me to. But this morning, Father, as I've as I've searched your scriptures, God, would you use me um, to show people who you are, how great you are, how glorious you are, how you make a difference, how, God, you are doing something that I can't explain, that I can't be um, the person that it's because of. God, it's because of you and what you have done. And so this morning as we look, God, would you do some work in us? Would you remind us and reveal yourself to us, we pray. Amen. I think everybody has probably heard this sermon before, right? Let the little children come to me. I was talking with Adela a little bit this morning. Um, this is one of those ones where I think everybody has kind of heard it. Um, and so I hope you don't just tune out, please. Um, this is one of those passages where, I, where it becomes like a really, really easy connection of, um, you know, let the little children come to me. So we must become like little children, therefore just be like a child, have childlike faith, be innocent, you know, do these things, and that's how you enter into the kingdom of God. And yet that's actually not what the passage is saying at all. It's not actually about what we do that invites us into the kingdom. It's something completely different. And the other thing that I think that we kind of miss is when it says they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them, um, we're talking babies, like, we're, we're like baby babies, not, not like toddlers, not children, we're talking like babies. And the reason that actually matters that we know that they're talking about babies is because, you know, once you're a child, a toddler, once you're a little bit older in that day and age, you were kind of past the point of being susceptible to most of the diseases. There was a hugely high mortality rate for infants in this era. And so babies are seen as disposable, expendable. They're they're seen as replaceable because until they've come to a certain age, until they've grown up to a certain point in life, they're kind of useless. 
It's not like our culture today where we throw baby showers um, and we're like excited about announcing it on Facebook and everything. Like it's not that same way back in that culture. It was, it was kind of seen as, hey, great, you had a baby. Let's hope it lives. It was really cut and dry, really kind of horrible. Like, could you imagine if somebody was like, hey, man, we'll wait to, we'll wait to celebrate when it hits five. Um, there's a baby in the back. Sorry, that's what I'm pointing at. Could you imagine? Like, that's, we can't, I can't even picture that today. I, like, I, I just can't. Especially in our, church, in our church culture, we celebrate babies. But we really have to wrap our heads around this, this first century issue of they weren't celebrated in the same way they are today. And not just they weren't celebrated, but they were, they were, they were more of a problem than uh, you know, a, a useful tool. It's, it's just horrific to think about how kids were treated in that day. They were dispensable, they were sellable, they were sickly and prone to death. Uh, they obviously were dependent. Obviously, they're, they're innocents. They, they, they don't know anything yet. They're not even equal citizens. In fact, slaves are considered more valuable than a baby in this culture. Are you, are you start, like, do, you, do you picture why it matters that we're talking about a baby and not just a child? You know, a, a child is, once it's got there, it can start helping around the house. It can start helping in the farm. It can start helping around and, and, and starting to do something. But a baby is just useless. And so as we look at this passage, it takes on, I think, a little bit different of uh, importance. So they're bringing even the babies to him that he might touch them. And again, when, when we're reading through the Gospels and when we're looking what it says, when we're looking at what Jesus is doing, whenever he touches somebody or somebody, it, it's about a blessing. It's about healing. It's, it's about a welcoming. And so as Jesus is welcoming and blessing and healing these babies, the disciples see it. And why are you wasting your time with babies? See, the disciples have, have got this view of the kingdom of God, that it's about, it's about a revolution, it's about um, defeating Rome, it's about creating a, a, an earthly kingdom, and to create an earthly kingdom, you need power, and you need money, and you need people, and babies offer none of that. Not, nothing. And so as, as Jesus is trying to, to point out who the kingdom of God is for, they're completely missing it. They're still focused on this earthly piece. They're still focused on this temporal piece. And God is saying, there's something greater. There's something bigger that I'm doing. And, and you need to see it. And so when he says, bring them to me. Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. He's flipping the picture of who the kingdom is on its head. The two sentences or the two phrases he uses, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. And truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it, are, are two very, very countercultural views. The first being that the kingdom belongs to weakness and to dependence. And the second one being, and I, and I think this one's kind of tricky to read and sometimes I think we read it wrong. Uh, Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. It means more of whoever does not read, receive a child, a, a baby, whoever, whoever does not receive weakness cannot receive the kingdom of God. 
And so there's two statements that he's making. The first is that the kingdom belongs to those who understand their weakness. There's a humility about it. There's a broken, there's a place that we have to come to where we say, I, I need the kingdom of God because of my brokenness. Not because of my strength, not because I, I bring something that it needs. It's not my power, it's not my fame, it's not my money, it's not that I have it all together, it's that I don't. It, it's that none of that is true about me, and so I have to come to the kingdom of God. So there's a humility that we need to enter into the kingdom. An innocence, sure, but it's about seeing who we really are, not about other people, but who we are in front of God. Who we are in front of a holy God is what matters more than about who we see around us. It's, sometimes you can make the case that you're stronger than other people, you're wiser than other people, you have more money than other people. Sure, and you can feel puffed up and you can feel proud about how good you are compared to these other people. But the important thing is when you put yourself in front of a, a holy, righteous, perfect God, suddenly you see yourself like a baby. Utter dependent on even the next breath you take. Reliant on healing because you are sickly with sin and you are going to die. Right? When you start looking at God and you start looking at yourself... That's when you see who you really are. And that's what God is trying to say here. That's what Jesus is, is trying to get down to the point. And then the second one, that we need to welcome not the rich and the powerful because they're rich and powerful and we think it's going to help us. We aren't supposed to be going after the things that the world goes after. We're supposed to be going after those people and welcoming them into our lives. And I'm not just talking about our church. I'm talking about our lives personally. We're supposed to be welcoming in those people who are weak and who are broken and who need our help. We're supposed to be going after those kind of people who who need God. And I mean, that is everybody. But there's something about how we want to build our friend groups and our churches and and everything to make them look like us. You know what I mean? Because it's comfortable. You know, when, when I have people who are like me in my... Uh, in my socioeconomic uh, class, right? Like the, the people who are kind of in the same money situation that I am. It's a bit more comfortable than hanging out with people who are really poor. It's really nice hanging out with really rich people because they buy me stuff. <laughs> um, it's really hard hanging out with people who um, socially are awkward and hard to be around. <laughs> it's really easy being around people who are the life of the party. Right? People that, that don't... Oh, just drain you after you've been with them for an hour. It's really, really hard to be with those people. It's really easy to be with those people. It's hard to be around people who need you because physically they can't do stuff. Whether this is like parents and grandparents or, or just friends, right? I want to I play sports. I want to go play tennis. I want to do those kind of things. I want to go for a run. I, I, I want to be active. I, I don't really want to go to my, you know, my grandparents' house and help them around their house every couple of weeks. That's tiring, and I don't feel like I get a lot out of it. But that's who God's called us to be. That's the kingdom. That's, that's, that's how he reorients our life. And it's not just about this one passage. And I'm not going to try to steal anything from Jonathan's next week, but there's four passages in a row 
There's the uh, persistent widow, there's the Pharisee and the tax collector, there's this passage, and then there's the rich young ruler next week. And all four of these passages sit in kind of a, uh, a story arc together. Because if you have been paying attention in Luke or in any of the Gospels as we read, you know that the disciples just don't get it. Like it's, it's, Jesus has to tell the same story but in a different way so many times because they still don't understand what he's saying. And so the story of the persistent widow is a story of this, this woman, again, culturally speaking, can't own a business, can't own property, her husband is dead, she is reliant on the people around her. She's a woman, which means she's a lower class citizen than a man. She is somebody who's not being listened to by this judge. She is crying out. And God says that's the kind of person that the kingdom of God is for. If I'm building my kingdom, I'm going after the judge. (laughs) Right? If I'm building my kingdom, I'm not going after babies and widows. I'm going after the judge. I'm going after actually the Pharisee. I'm going after maybe the parents or the disciples. I'm going after the rich young ruler to build my kingdom. But it's not about that. Even when it goes to the Pharisee and the tax collector, who is it that is accepted into the kingdom? It's not the Pharisee who has it all together, who has the fame, who has the power, who, who's a, even a cornerstone of, of the, the, the town or the society that they live in. It's after the dirty tax collector, you know, that, that traitor, the person who's irreligious, the person who understands that they're not accepted. It's after that person. It's after the babies? Like, this doesn't make any sense. You cannot win with weakness. You take the rich young ruler who has done so good at fulfilling all of the law, All of this I have kept since my youth. Look at me. I'm wonderful. Jesus says, but you do treasure me more than everything else. Do you realize that you cannot buy, you cannot earn your salvation? You you can't do it by yourself. Story after story after story after story is about this people who are weak and rejected People who are alone and overlooked. People who are hated. People who are dispensable and sickly. The least, the the opposite of these powerful people are the people that God has come to save. And it's no, it's not like this is a surprise to us. Luke 4, we talk about it all the time. And it's because it's such a great passage that shows us who God has come for. Freedom for the people who are in bondage. It's for those kind of people who realize that they have a need. God's kingdom is for the people who are broken and in need of healing from the great physician. The people who are thirsty and in need of a drink that wells up into eternal life. The sinful and in need of forgiveness for the one who would die to secure. Like it's, it's for those people. The babies are a reminder for us today of who we are and how loved we must be to be taken care of. Again, that, the picture of it's your breath in our lungs, this idea that every single word we speak is allowed because God gives us the breath to do it. And when we wake up in the morning, it's not because we were strong enough to do it. It's because God wills it. 
there's a reminder that we are as weak and dependent as babies, even though we think we're not. And so the question coming out of this is, have you come to a place where you know you are one or all of those things, broken or thirsty and sinful? Or maybe have you forgotten how deep your need was? Because I think there's, there's a form of forgetfulness, right? We don't want to remember how weak we were. We don't want to remember how bad it looked, how much we really needed, because it, it reminds us of how pitiful we really are. So I just want to read a couple of statements and maybe see where you fit, how many of these maybe hit home with you. It's not an autobiography, so don't think that this is all about me. I didn't write this out of my own heart. This was totally something else. It's going to be painful. This actually comes from Galatians 5. Have you forgotten... Or are you missing the fact that you are sexually immoral, impure, and sensual? That you lack maybe intimacy in your marriage? You look to people and things as servants to your lusts and your wills. That you are unable to see people as people and created in the image of God. Do you have a a blindness to your idolatry? That you set yourself up or things as God and that everything and everyone must serve you or suffer? Maybe superstition is something where you believe that you can control the outcomes of events, forcing it into a mold because you do life a certain way. Maybe it's enmity and strife, that you are hostile to those around you who question you, who disagree with you, that you only want to be around those who build you up and elevate your position. In fact, you want to tear down the people who oppose you who are different than you. Maybe it's jealousy. You are worried about someone having what you already have, maybe taking what you already possess, so you work to keep what you have so you have more than the next person, never sure that God is actually going to be fulfilling you. (laughs) Maybe it's anger. Maybe you're quick to lose control of yourself in conversations Your kids can set you off in a heartbeat. Your spouse doesn't even need to push a button. You're unable to have difficult conversations. You can't be discipled because you're constantly angry that someone would say that, call you out on that. Who are they? Maybe it's rivalry. You're always looking to others as the bar you need to be hitting. You're always judging your success and your failure based on other people. Maybe it's dissensions and division. You're constantly trying to get people on your side. You're constantly drawing battle lines. Choosing who's in or out and making sure others do too. Maybe it's envy. We see something that someone has that we want, that we lack, or that that we look to either earn it or buy it, or we hate God that he hasn't given it to us. You always want what others have, and therefore you lack fulfillment or joy with what you already have. Maybe it's drunkenness. Do you lack the ability to control yourself? You make an arse of yourself because you feel like you need to make yourself happy to fit in or escape, escape the, the present situation. 
Maybe it's not necessarily a sin piece, but it's a physical piece where you struggle with pain, with brokenness of body. Maybe it's MS or ALS or chronic pain. Uh, I know people with obviously bad knees and back with cancer, infertility, blindness, sickness, anything else that would make you question God's goodness in your life. Why would God allow this to happen? Maybe it's mental. Do you struggle with one of the the many, many, many illnesses that we can't even start to list? That affect your your thinking, that affect the way you have an outlook on life, that affect the way that you wake up in the morning? Have you come to the place where you know that you are one of these things, broken or thirsty or sinful? Can you even admit that you're one of those things? Have you forgotten that you were invited into the kingdom of God from a place of brokenness? As be- that should be beautiful. Do, do you, it shouldn't be a scary thing to have to admit. It should be the most freeing thing ever. Because it means that you don't have to have it all together. You don't need to have it all figured out. You don't need to come to God with your 15 things checked off the list. It means that you can do life with broken people, pointing them to Jesus, because you've been in that same place in a different way. See, the thing is, like I already said, we tend to surround ourselves with people like us, especially in a town like Maple Ridge. It's fun kind of going to different towns and different places. We are so white. It is crazy. I just... Somebody of color comes in here and it's like, oh, what is this? You know what I'm talking about. And so we surround ourselves with those people because it's easy. Because honestly, we actually have to go out of our way to find somebody who's not like us. We move into neighborhoods that are comfortable. We move into schools that will provide good friends for our kids. We invite people into our homes that are safe, that we enjoy. We find jobs that will advance us, that will pay well. We tell our kids to do well in school so they can set them up for a good life with a good job, a good family, a good future. But do we actually set ourselves and our kids up for a future in the kingdom of God? We're surrounded in this town, if we want to look for it, by drugs and bars and homelessness, broken families, people who are needy, Orphans and widows and people who are abused, people who are broken in every single way. But we usually stay away from those kind of people and those things because it's messy. It's hard to know what to do with it. What I'm, I'm looking to push us towards this morning is, is quite simple. Do we look for the kingdom to break into this world through our choices and in the people we align ourselves with? and do life with, or do we stay safe? Or do we even think about it? Do we even, do we even think about how the kingdom of God breaks in, in amongst what we do? Do we think that every single choice we make has an effect on how the kingdom is revealed to people? Do we actually believe that we are part of building God's kingdom at all? Or are we just happy that we made it into the kingdom 
man, he is having a rough morning. Yeah, imagine. Imagine for me for a second what our churches could look like if we humbled ourselves and showed others what the kingdom of God is like. That it is like a hospital or a a rehab or trauma center for sinners. A, a, A people who are being healed and yet have not forgotten their scars. Who see how God has been making them whole and want to see others become whole as well. When we as Christians live as thirsty people, as people who were blind, sick, broken, and sinful, it means that we live by grace because that's the only way we can do it. We extend grace because we've received grace. We show a strong world that it's actually weakness that allows us to be made well again. That the whole front that we put on, that the pursuit for everything that makes us happy isn't actually what's going to fulfill us. It's the promise of of getting the, the water that wells up into eternal life that instead of having to go back and drink and drink and drink and drink, it, it, it's, it's done for us once and we don't have to keep searching. It's getting a new heart and, and having God remove a heart of stones so that we can actually feel and respond to God and invite others to do the same. It's going to the great physician who can heal us. Just like all these pictures... It's not about strength. It's about all the ways that we are weak. It's all the ways that we need to come to Jesus to be made whole, to be made well. We show a strong world that weakness is who the kingdom of God is for. Instead of putting on that front like we have it all together, we know that we've found an actual cure for our sickness and our sin. We found the water that satisfies. We don't need to keep looking for something that satisfies momentarily. And so the the tag line, I guess, for this morning is this. We are invited in our brokenness by Jesus, and therefore we invite the broken to meet Jesus. We are humble people who do life. We are hospitable people. And so the humility that we, that we find as we look into Scripture and into Jesus creates a people who are hospitable to the people who need Jesus too. So this morning, as we kind of wrap this whole thing up with a bow, will you invite the broken to meet Jesus? Simple question, I guess. And yet it's a reorienting of our whole life. For us, it was seeing our neighbors as people who needed Jesus, who were lost, who were broken and sinful and didn't have any hope, who were just looking for the next thing to satisfy them. We are looking to invite them to Jesus every single time we sit and talk with them and love them. It's not just a flyby thing either. Like, hey, you need Jesus? It's a life thing. We invite them into our home. We have meals with them. We play with their kids. 
we want to show them what Jesus is like and how Jesus has been helping us in our marriage and in our parenting, how Jesus is helping us with our finances, how Jesus is helping us with our future. Will you invite the broken to meet Jesus? And then if you're here this morning and you don't yet know that, you are invited to meet Jesus. You're invited for the Jesus who heals and gives new life and who forgives sin. That with Jesus' death on the cross, in our place, taking care of the wrath of God, the death that awaits us, the punishment for our sin, that's the Jesus we want you to know. That you can come this morning and say, I need to be healed. I need to be made whole. I need to be made well. I cannot do this on my own. We want to welcome you into the kingdom of God. We want, you, we want you to know what it is we know and what we've experienced. Forgiveness of sins. We're going to move into a time of response. Um, we are going to do it in three different ways. Uh, the first one being we're going to sing. And we are going to worship God for what he's done, what Jesus has done for us on the cross. We are going to celebrate together Uh, how it is that God would would save sinners like us. The second way we're going to respond is through prayer. There's going to be some teams at the back. Uh, We already talked about it a little bit this morning. Uh, If you are feeling like you need prayer because you are broken, go. Take advantage of it. Take advantage of these people who want to just sit with you and pray and, and ask you how you're doing. And if you, for the first time, want to be healed, to be forgiven of sins, go and pray. Like don't, don't, don't put it off. And then we want to do communion and we want to remember exactly what it is that God has done for us. That on the cross, as, as Jesus is nailed there and he's just killed, uh, his body is, is broken for us, his blood is shed for us and that provides forgiveness of sins. And so I'm going to pray and then we're going to move into this time of response. So Father, Would we be a people who are invited in our brokenness by you to come and uh, take part in the kingdom? But would it not end there, Father? Would we be a type of people who now invite the broken to meet you? That, God, we would not forget about how broken and sinful we are. We wouldn't forget, God, the depths of what you saved us from. God, like Paul, we could say I'm the the greatest of sinners because we know our own hearts. This morning as we uh, take communion and we come up and we we dip the the bread into the wine or the juice, God, uh, would that be a symbol, would that be a reminder that you are our Savior? God, that you have died for our sins. God, would we be the type of church and the type of people uh, who show our need for you every single day? We pray in your name. Amen.